welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, I am really excited to um, talk to my guest today. The title of today's show is Whistleblower Exposes COVID-19 Vaccine Side Effects Kept Hidden. Now, um, before I... uh, No, I know this is very controversial. We're all supposed to think that uh, vaccines are the best thing since sliced bread. (laughs) And, in fact, that's what President Biden, Dr. Fauci, the CDC, the FDA, Big Pharma, and other medical institutions are trying to tell us. They're doing whatever they can, uh, whether it's a carrot, you know, awards, rewards, like uh, lottery tickets or pizza or beer or pot, which I found unbelievable. Uh, You know, the reward would be you can get some pot if you take this vaccine. I mean, like, hello? Um, But they're doing everything. They're standing on their heads um, to try to get us all to take the vaccine. And they're also doing everything they can to keep from us the true information about the side effects of these vaccines. Every once in a while, you'll, you know, see something or hear something. But really, if you think about it, uh, the media has been keeping this from us. and, And there are lots of articles about People who um, who didn't get the vaccine, especially they like to pick out <laughs> they like to pick out radio hosts or other media personalities. Um, so and so didn't get the vaccine, and and uh, and look, they got COVID, and look, they died. I mean, like it's it's really sick. <laughs> now, I am just to be clear from the beginning. I have I've been talking about COVID and and helping people through this pandemic since the beginning in terms of looking at all the different psychological aspects of it. But, uh, and and since the beginning, I have not told people what they should or shouldn't do as far as, like, you should take the vaccine, you shouldn't take the vaccine. So what what people should do is um, is to have freedom to choose what they want. And that is more important. Having this freedom, keeping this freedom is more important than anything. So, um, but, you know, more and more people have been convinced, uh, and of course now we're, we're just about to have the, um, uh, there are employers, like hospitals, for example, who are making people get uh, vaccinated or else they get fired, um, all kinds of employers, and with Biden making those new rules, making it harder and harder to avoid getting vaccinated and, and stay employed. Um, it's really gotten absurd. Fortunately, today's guest is a whistleblower. Her name is Deborah Conrad, and she um, is is calling out, you know, it's that the emperor has no clothes, that in fact, uh, people who have been vaccinated, she is a hospitalist physician's assistant, so she has seen it all. And um, and seeing a lot that is not being reported. In fact, people, including herself, have been uh, dissuaded from reporting these side effects to any uh, any 
governing body, any kind of, uh, uh, particularly, of course, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, or VAERS. You know, if you look at the, uh, uh, the uh, website for VAERS, you would think that there were no adverse effects at all, or very few. Don't worry about it. Uh, in fact, that is not the whole truth, because doctors and nurses and physicians' assistants, like Deborah Conrad, have been dissuaded from reporting these side effects. So, without further ado, <laughs> Deborah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Okay, so now before we um, start and, and with your telling your story about how you became the whistleblower and so on, I want to give my listeners some background as far as what uh, credentials you have, what drew you into going into medicine, and, you know, in the first place, like what your, why your heart drew you into medicine. So go um, ahead. I've actually... I've actually always been interested in science. Um, throughout my grade school years, uh, I was very good at science, was always interested in the human body, how it functions. Um, and so I ended up uh, going to the University of Buffalo, and I got my undergraduate degree in laboratory medicine, medical technology, and I worked in a medical lab. Um, and I enjoyed very much uh, learning about the human body through laboratory medicine, uh, through blood banking, learning how to cross-match blood, um, working on the analyzers, doing some research. Um, but I miss the human aspect um, to my laboratory work. So I went back to school to become a PA, a physician assistant, um, and I went to the University of Pennsylvania at Lock Haven, and I got my master's degree, um, my master's in health science. And I have been a PA uh -huh. at uh, my local community hospital for 15 years. I've been a PA for 20 years, almost 20 years. Uh-huh. And, um, and I love, I love you... my job. I love medicine. I love my patients. And are you still working at this same hospital? I am not. As of, money, as of Monday, um, this past Monday, September 27th, I am unemployed. I have been well, I was wondering, position. like, how long? I was wondering how long you were going to be able to be a whistleblower and still, and still be employed by that place that you're that you're exposing. Right, right. It, it, my, my week back after the story came out was a bit difficult, as you can imagine. Um, so I kind of uh -huh. knew um, part of me being a whistleblower would mean that I would likely lose my job. As a result, maybe not, um, you know, them, you know, directly terminating me as a result of the, of the whistleblowing, but certainly making my life difficult that uh, that kind of had, you know, kind of had to, had to happen that way, I guess. Uh-huh. All right. Well, so, um, and, and so you have um, a PA degree and, um, oh, so it's a master, MSHS, Master's in Hospital Sciences. In, in, in health science, yes. Health science. Um, and BSMT mm -hmm. is what? Uh, Bachelor's BSMT. of Science in Medical Technology. Okay. All right. And also at the hospital, you were a member of the Medical Executive Committee, and you were Correct. an Advanced Practice Provider Director. So, um, Correct. You know, so, you, 
So you you were very far up the chain, is what what that means, um, and considered yeah. a leader, which is why they were very concerned about you, uh, leading people into down the the rabbit hole. Well, all right. So why don't you? Um, and are you? You know, I'm from New York, so I would love to know what general area this hospital is in, if you feel comfortable saying. Um, I'm in, like, uh, the, the Batavia area, Genesee County area. North oh, north of New York City, in other words. Y- yes, north of New York City. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, um, so go ahead. Why don't you take us from the beginning of, of this uh, path? Okay. Uh, as far as the whistleblowing path? Yes, the whistleblowing path. I oh. know that was a little confusing. Okay. The whistleblowing path. Sure. There you were sure. working. Let me let me just uh, introduce it again. There you were working your way, uh, working, you know, getting a lot of respect and working your way up the food chain when one day all of a sudden, yes, <laughs> Mm-hmm. We rolled our, the vaccines out in, in December uh, initially to the healthcare workers. And um, I myself wanted to wait because I was, a little, I was hesitant about it being so new and not having a lot of kind of research uh, behind it. So I sat back and just kind of let though, you know, whoever wanted to get a vaccine got a vaccine. Whoever didn't, didn't. Nobody made any kind of concern about it. And, um, probably about a month after the vaccine started rolling out to our staff and to the public, we started seeing kind of an influx of patients coming into the hospital with strange conditions. We started noticing code strokes were called overhead on on a much more frequent basis than we had seen in the past. Strange things started happening so much so that we all started taking notice, but initially passed it off as, a, as coincidental um, until we had a particular um, incident with a patient that really kind of bothered the providers that were taking care of this individual because he died less than 48 hours getting his vaccine. Um, and it was, there was nothing really to explain why. And that was kind of when we were starting to hear reports in the news here and there about patients you know, dying after vaccination and nobody really knew what was going on. Was it related? Was it, was it not related? Um, so I, b- before that happened, I actually was concerned enough that I started doing my own research online about the vaccines and I came across the vaccine adverse event reporting system. So I went on their website, kind of looked around and I realized very quickly that I was supposed to be reporting patients that were coming into the hospital following vaccination. I just didn't know it. So um, I went to my leadership and I you know, sent a lot of emails about it and said, hey, did you know that we're supposed to be doing this? We should get an email out to the medical staff and the nursing staff and let them know that we should be watching for these conditions, these things, and reporting to theirs. Let's set up a system to do this. And initially, my hospital um, basically let me do it. I kind of was the volunteer, thinking that we would get a patient here and there. But it quickly turned into a very involved full-time job that I ended up doing on my week off. I do a seven-day stretch, and then I do seven days off. 
Um, and that whole seven days was consumed by doing patient reports. Um, mm. So it got overwhelming very quickly. So I went back to my leadership and I said, hey, this is really getting overwhelming. I, I, I can't keep up. Can, can we send out an email again to the medical staff and, and try to get more people to help me with this reporting? And that's when they shut me down and, and wanted to do an audit of my reports. So I, you know, I said, gosh, why would they want to do an audit? So I ended up picking some patients that I thought had really good stories that you could say, wow, this really should have been reported. Um, and I submitted to my leadership these individual patients. I, I want to say there was about 14 of them. And the response back was that I was over-reporting. And I said, well, how do you know that I'm over-reporting? I'm following the guidelines on the VARIS website. Um, it's not us, you know, it's not for us to determine are these directly related to the vaccine or not. I said, we're supposed to submit the information and the FDA is supposed to make that determination, not us. Um, uh-huh. and, and they, I wasn't involved in this audit. I wasn't allowed to be there. Um, I don't even know who was there. And these are not people that took care of any of these patients, but they made a determination based on based on what? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So they kind of shut me down and they said, uh, we talked with uh, risk management, which is our legal team. And they said, well, we've decided that you can no longer report on any patients that you didn't have direct care, uh, you were directly caring for. And I said, well, then who's going to report on all the rest of these people? And they said, basically, it's not mm-hmm. your problem. You know, stop worrying about it. You know, let us take care of it. And I said, well, how are you going to take care of it? And they they told me that it's the individual provider's responsibility to report. And I kept saying, well, if they don't know what they're supposed to be doing, how do they even know to report? Because you're not telling them. And then they came back and said, it's not their responsibility to tell anybody. It was just this back and forth dialect of just, and I, in my head, I couldn't understand because I'm thinking, why would you not want to? Like, this is, this is about patient safety. It's at that time it was under emergency use. It was brand new. We have never used this type of vaccine technique on humans before. You know, uh, wouldn't you want to make sure there was some sort of safety data collection? And I had known that other hospitals were doing this. There were other hospitals that had um, implemented a reporting system. Um, maybe, maybe not all of them. I, I highly doubt there were many of them that did, but there were a few. So I said, why did, why is our system not adopting this? And they just kept telling me, this is not, this is not what we're going to do, you know? And, you know, I, of course I, I'm not one, if something bothers me or I become passionate about something, I, I keep going. That's what a leader does. When you're passionate about something that is important and you think benefits society or helps to keep citizens safe or our community safe, you keep going with it. So that's what I did, and I just kept getting shut down to the point where I felt that my job and my livelihood was was being threatened. So I had to get attorneys, um, which was very scary for me because I'm a mom of three. I'm the primary breadwinner. My husband is a stay-at-home dad. He's back to work now, but he was a stay-at-home dad. And I I said, well, how am I going to afford attorneys? How do I even find attorneys? So what happened is I reached out to a a PhD that I had seen a podcast online 
And she got back to me and um, we immediately became good friends. And she got me um, uh, kind of hooked up with these attorneys in New York City that have been so wonderful to me through this whole process. And when I signed the agreement with them that they would represent me, I ended up on the agreement. It said that um, my attorney fees were all paid in full. So I was so grateful. There was an individual that donated um, to pay all of my attorney fees. And it was, it was so wonderful. I, I, yeah, I was, I was just so grateful. And so they've met with me through this whole process. Wait, 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 wait. Just to be clear, the reason why you got attorneys in the first place was because to protect your job or why? Yes, to protect my job. Because I knew okay. that, like, I started, they started kind of, the people that were coming to me with patients um, that they were concerned about, like the emergency room and our infection control individual, they stopped coming to me all of a sudden. I stopped getting emails. And when I would email them, they would say basically that, you know, basically they can't talk to me no more, you know, that I, uh-huh. I need to bring this mm-hmm. up with, with uh, this, the, you know, leadership. And I said, well, wait a minute, you've been talking to me the last couple of months. What happened? Well, what happened is I'm sure they got a talking to. And um, uh-huh. so I kind of realized very quickly that my job was potentially in jeopardy. I see. Um, and I wasn't going to convince these uh, individuals to do the right thing. Okay. All uh-huh. right. Good. Let's stop there because we have to take mm-hmm. a break. But when we come back, sure. um, we'll, we'll continue down this path. And, uh, and also, um, I want you to go into detail about what kinds of uh, problems you were seeing patients have with this after having the vaccine. So we'll be right back. Um, my guest is Deborah Conrad. We're talking today. She's the whistleblower who is exposing COVID-19 vaccine side effects that the hospital was keeping hidden. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking today with a whistleblower who has exposed COVID-19 vaccine side effects that her hospital was keeping secret. Um, Deborah Conrad is the whistleblower. Very brave woman. Um, Very important that she is coming forward. You know, obviously... Deborah, there are more, um, you know, you're not the only one. Your hospital is not the only hospital where people are having these reactions to the vaccine, and yet we don't hear about many whistleblowers doing this. So, you know, um, so people, this is more prevalent, in other words, than uh, not just a thing at your hospital. Well, let's, why don't we um, talk about some of the illnesses, some of the reactions to the vaccine that you have seen that got you really worried? Um, Particularly, I would have to say uh, blood clots, strokes, heart attacks, new seizures. Uh, We we see a lot of infections after vaccination. Uh, People who would get vaccinated and then come into the hospital with pneumonia, that was one big one. And I think the reason we took notice of it is because it was spring and summer and we really don't get our respiratory illnesses in the summer months. Um, we may have a handful of them, but it was frankly ridiculous. I mean, we had so many people in the hospital with pneumonia and the interesting thing was that many, many of them were recently vaccinated. And I said, geez, I wonder if, you know, the vaccine is affecting people's immune system in some way that it's making them susceptible for a period of time after vaccination. Um, We also saw um, some cases of of appendicitis, pancreatitis, a lot of gastrointestinal complaints. That's another big one is people Mm -hmm. who just, they're nauseated. uh, They have no, not really abdominal pain per se, but just, they just don't have an appetite anymore. They're getting diarrhea, nausea, vomiting, with no real cause, um, we, we saw a lot of that. And it's funny, but um, we, a lot of the symptoms that I saw after vaccination it, are similar to what people report after being infected with COVID. Um, it's, it's similar mm. types of things. So even after COVID infection, um, you, can, you can have a complication of a blood clot. You can have a complication of a stroke. You can have a complication of a heart attack. And again, we would see the same things, interestingly, following vaccination. Um, And we also had um, our share of COVID-19 infections, especially in our elderly population, because they really mass vaccinated 
our elderly in nursing homes and rehab centers. So we got admitted a string of patients that, that ended up coming down with COVID between their first and second dose. So that was quite an mm. interesting thing. And it, again, it was noticeable so much that the providers and the uh, nurses and aides that worked in the nursing home also took notice of that. It was just, it was interesting. It was, it was right between their first and second dose that these patients would become infected with COVID, which I thought was interesting. Hmm. Um, but yeah. again, a lot of neurologic complaints too. Um, a lot of people coming in with tremors, uh, unusual tremors that started after the vaccine, or they become very weak. We had a string of patients who, who were found on the floor um, the day after uh, by their family mm. members. Um, we've had a lot of gastrointestinal bleeds and, and, and like brain bleeds. Um, and then, of course, there is the cancer uh, kind of thing that we're, that we're seeing. And again, none of these things, this is all anecdotal, this is all observational, but it's interesting to me because we had a bunch of patients who were in remission from their cancers and then ended up you know, after vaccination, being told that their cancer had returned. And even even people who've been in remission for 20 years. It's strange. Mm. Um, and then we also had patients who were diagnosed with new cancers. And I understand that people get diagnosed with cancer every day in America. But it, it seemed awful weird, the pattern that we were seeing. Um, it, it's just so strange. So you were seeing- when you were seeing some of these things, I mean, surely, like, you must have talked to other, you know, medical um, personnel, uh, staff, um, and, like, to say, you know, to, to say, like, isn't that interesting or strange or something that this is happening or that's happening? What, what did they say? What did other people who saw the same thing say about it? Well, I can say uh, most of the providers that I spoke with passed it off as a coincidence. Uh, They just could not even for a moment believe that it had anything to do with the vaccine. And I understand why, because we're taught in training that vaccines are a wonderful thing. They help society. You know, we never think of them as harmful things. We're just not taught that. So it it would have been very difficult for anybody to admit that, there was any direct correlation. Now, interestingly, the nurses had a much different viewpoint, and I think maybe because they spent a lot more time with these patients than providers typically do. You know, they're with them all their shift where we may see them, you know, for their daily visit, and that's really kind of the the extent with which we have the involvement. So they got to know these patients more, got to know their families, got to know the story. So the nurses... I had very little time, you know, very little effort did it take to convince our nursing staff. They saw it right away. So they have been my Hmm. ally through this all because, you know, again, if it wasn't for many of my nursing colleagues, um, I wouldn't have been able to collect as much information as I did because they were Uh just as as concerned as me. But uh, a lot of my other um, peers, uh, you know, had a difficult time accepting that there was anything going on. And there's many still at the hospital I work that have absolutely no 
Um, they don't believe that, that, that there is anything that, I mean, I actually had one tell me vaccines don't harm people. And I'm like, but that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, we, that's like saying, you know, uh, a Tylenol or an aspirin, it, you know, doesn't, doesn't have harmed. I mean, even the most benign thing right. can be harmful to the right individual. We're not all made right. the same. So, but it's, we call it cognitive dissonance. It's just the, I don't know, they just cannot see it. So what do these, um, what did the patients think about it? Like, did these nurses or or you, um, I don't know if you talked to any patients specifically about, like, or if they just said to you um, that they think it has to do with the vaccine. What did the patients think about it? Many of the patients had a thought that it was due to the vaccine. Many of the times I didn't, I didn't even have to bring it up. The patients would bring it up and they'd say, hey, do you think this might have something to do with the COVID vaccine? And I, I would yeah. always tell the patients, you know, I don't know, but I will report your case because the only way we're mm-hmm. going to know is if we do the reporting. Um, right. So, Many times now, there 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 may have been some patients that I took care of that I asked them, "Hey, when did you get your COVID vaccine?" And they would tell me, "Oh, a week ago, or a day ago, or whatever." And I'd say to them, "You know, would you mind if I, you know, reported your case to the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System?" And many of them had no idea what I was talking about, which interests me because when you sign up for your vaccine, you're supposed to have informed consent. And you're supposed to know mm. that if you have a problem, this is what you do. And of course, I can tell mm-hmm. you, probably one of the many patients I've taken care of had any idea what Ferris was. So they, that's a whole other issue. But these patients are not getting informed consent. They have no idea what they're signing up for. Um, but many of the patients were extremely grateful that I even brought it up. They had no idea that it could be related in any way. No idea which makes mm-hmm. me think of all the patients that we may have missed in, mm-hmm. this, in this effort, all the patients that didn't get reported who, um, and it's very unfortunate because they had no idea that it might have had something to do with it because the patients don't yeah. even know. Yeah. They don't yeah. even know. That's, that's what's so sad about it all. Not only do the providers not know, the nurses not know, the patients don't know. It's really, it's really sad. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, So did, uh, you were saying that uh, other hospitals that you know of, um, that that they were reporting it. I mean, is your hospital the only hospital that you know of that where they were discouraging um, medical professionals from reporting it? I mean, I know it's I have I have a family member who works at another hospital system, and they were not reporting either. And initially, when she brought it up to her leadership, they pretty much did the same thing as me, as they did with me. They kind of told her, no, you know, what, what are you talking about? We don't have to do this. And she she kind of persisted, and then they did implement a system where the pharmacy uh, would be the ones responsible for reporting. So what they did was they sent out an email 
to their medical staff and said, hey, if you have a patient that you may have concerns about, send that patient's information to the pharmacy. Um, but again, the, the dissonance is so widespread that even with that email, many of the medical staff there didn't see it. They didn't understand what they were supposed to be doing. Because even if they mm-hmm. sent out emails, many times they were vague. They didn't really speak of the importance with which we were supposed to be doing this reporting. Because obviously it's a fine balance between wanting to push out the vaccine and creating hesitancy. So it becomes a a difficult situation there because in April, um, our administration, our, our, um, but the Biden administration increased reimbursement for the vaccine. Mm. You mean, you know, to and, the and hospital. I think they went from $22 a vaccine to $44. So there was, um, there was, you know, financial benefit too uh, in, ah. in, in, in getting these vaccines rolled out. So it, it created a very difficult situation in the hospital because obviously, um, you know, the, the, there's all this push to get everybody vaccinated, but then at the same time, if you admit that there may be side effects or problems, you're going to create some people that may want to wait. So I, I can kind of understand, you know, why there was this, uh, what do we do? And again, nobody was given any guidance. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe the hospitals were given guidance by the FDA when they applied to be a vaccine center but maybe they weren't. But either way, I, to me, when somebody in leadership comes to you about a uh, safety concern, it should be taken seriously and something done about it. It's not like I didn't have you know, evidence to support my claims or the VAERS website is extremely clear on what you should be reporting. It's very clear. It's not open to interpretation. Um, uh-huh. But... Everybody kind of interpreted it their own way, and nobody enforced it. So, okay, so the hospitals um, have a conflict of interest, basically. I was going to get Correct. to that, like why you think the hospital, you know, didn't want you doing this. Um, so they have a conflict of interest because they want to make money by getting more people to get the vaccine, and, um, and so they don't really want to tell people the truth. <laughs> Basically, and I, and I don't know about any subsidies or other things. Like, I don't know if there was any sort of, um, you know, subsidy where if you got so much of your population vaccinated, there would be a federal subsidy. I don't know that, but it wouldn't surprise me because there were incentives uh-huh. all over the United States. I mean, there were incentives for individuals. You know, they pay off your college loan and do all kinds of things. I, I'm, I'm sure yeah. there was incentives for hospital systems. Um, to get a certain percentage of their em- employees or or county vaccinated, I'm sure of it. Um, so yes, there's an absolute mm-hmm. conflict of interest there, just like there's a conflict of interest between um, the CDC and these hospital systems. So when you sign up to be a vaccine center, a place that's going to imp- you know give out the vaccine, you sign a contract with the CDC that you will report side effects to. Theirs, but the only mm-hmm. entity that can enforce that reporting is the entity with which you sign the contract. 
So the CDC mm-hmm. must enforce reporting. Nobody else can do it, which, again, is a conflict of interest. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a real mess. It is. It's a real mess. Yeah. And, and again, you would think that if you're going to roll out a vaccine under an EUA on the population, the entire population, you know, without, I mean, except for the kids, a population that was not represented in the trial, wouldn't you want to first assure you had a safety mechanism in place to catch early potential side effects so you could investigate it further? I mean, you would think that'd be the first thing they would do before implementing them on the population. Make sure you have yes. a safety net. But that's not what happens. Yes. Um, it's not what happens. Unless there, unless there are other uh, <laughs> other reasons for it. <laughs> and, you know, sure. so you wouldn't care about it. Um, it's really, yeah, it's really unfortunate. Yes. You know, because we did, we're I mean, be- the trial subjects, let's face it, the 20, I think there was 26 or 23,000 in the Pfizer trial. Those trial subjects were cherry-picked. We know that. They were, um, they were not representative of the general population. We didn't have any patients there that had COVID before. There were no, you know, pregnancy people enrolled, uh, breastfeeding women. There was a lot of uh, people that were not represented in those clinical trials. And then we rolled yes. these vaccines out on everybody, no matter what, pregnant, breastfeeding, uh, you know, people with cancer, people on immune medications, elderly, yeah. um, all kinds of people who've had COVID before. And yet we had no safety mechanism set up to catch an early warning if there was going to be a problem. And they'll say, well, we did. We yeah. had VAERS, but nobody knows about VAERS. Nobody right, knows right. about it in a general well, day, let alone, you know, I mean, it's, I just can't understand. Yeah. I, yeah. I really... And I could see for a well, regular vaccine wait, wait, me, because they me, went I'm through sorry, all the I testing. To, I, I have to, oh, let sure. me just interrupt you here because we need to take another break. But when we come back, we will get more into all of this and also some of the reasons why, um, you know, the relation between the vaccine and the immune system and some of the reasons why these effects might be happening. So stay tuned. You are listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. My guest today is Deborah Conrad, a physician's assistant for a hospitalist who is also now a whistleblower. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com. 
We're with you wherever Alexa and Google are. At home, in the car, on your smart TV, and your connected devices. Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Play my favorite Voice America podcast on TuneIn. It's just that easy. But make sure you actually mention the name of the podcast show to make it work. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. My guest today is Deborah Conrad. She is a hospitalist physician's assistant um, with all kinds of degrees that I was mentioning at the beginning. Um, and she is now unemployed. <laughs> so if anyone, uh, because of her having the bravery, the, cover, the courage to come out and be a whistleblower and say things that, uh, you know, it's really sad thinking about how many other thousands of people um, who work in hospitals, either as physician's assistant or, or, or physicians or the nurses you were talking about before, you know, lots of other people who have been seeing the same thing, the same patterns, uh, people after they got the vaccine then came down with these various illnesses and side effects, and yet, um, and yet there is no one coming out and saying it um, as bravely or loudly as you are. And, and so, when you think about all these me- medical professionals who are keeping this secret, uh, that's a very scary thought, you know, um, that they're not, mm-hmm. they, you know, I guess they don't want to risk their job or whatever, but. Uh, that they're not willing to to tell the truth to the rest of the world. Um, mm-hmm. During the break, uh, I started. I was asking Deborah about. Uh, well, I thought I was where I was starting to go was to say, uh, hopefully, you're going to have file a lawsuit now. A, will, a whistleblower whistleblowers ha- have protection. There are certain laws um, that give them protection. But as she was explaining, and why don't you explain it to my listeners also, that they, the, what the hospital did um, sort of made that more difficult for her to do. So why don't you tell, tell people what you were telling me? Well, in New York State, the mandate went into effect on September 27th, meaning that all healthcare workers had to be um, vaccinated, at least get their first vaccine by the 27th or be um, will no longer be able to work in their job. Um, One of the things that we could do was apply for a religious exemption. Um, The hospitals don't have to grant them to us, but they have to allow us to at least apply. So I had seen this coming. So a a month or so before uh, the mandate was official, I submitted a religious testimony um, and also an affidavit about the Title VII federal law in regards to religious exemptions. And I was told, you know, you're going to have to wait until we sort this out and, and all of this. So they sent out a um, accommodations letter to everybody who wanted to apply for a religious exemption. But the accommodations letter basically kind of released them um, from any kind of wrongdoing, so to speak. And it also, uh, if by signing it, you, you would agree to any accommodations that they felt were needed, including you know, as, as frequent of testing as is necessary, no matter how much it inconveniences you or doesn't make any sense, you would have to do it. Um, 
you know, so um, I wouldn't sign that accommodations form. I refused to sign it. I wouldn't submit it. And every time they asked me about it, I said, I submitted my testimony. That's all you need. Well, um, they ended up giving me uh, approval or a temporary approval, but then I was, I've not been put on the schedule anymore. And I also cannot access my email anymore. My internet access is blocked. So I couldn't even sign up for testing if I wanted to. Now, I don't want to sign up for testing. I didn't agree to the accommodations. Um, but, you know, they're obviously blocking my ability to even set up those accommodations. Um, so, you know, I, I've been out of a job since the 27th because I'm not on the schedule um, anymore. I've received no call, no information. It's as if I don't exist anymore. Hmm. That must yeah. uh, not feel good after all the years that you have uh, dedicated yourself to the hospital and to the patients in the hospital and so on. Um, right. I mean, I guess you'll get some kind of letter in the mail, one would presume. What? Um, well, they, they told us they're, they, they're not legally required to send us any information. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Um, with the religious... Um, accommodation or religious exemption, um, did you have to be, what did you have to say? Did you have to be a particular religion that doesn't allow vaccines or what, what did you have to say to no, get a religious it was, it's, exemption? The Title Seven law is based on your personal beliefs. It doesn't have to be um, a particular religion, a particular, you know, belief um, but they make it that way. Uh, so I know many employers are saying, well, let's say Catholics, for instance, that our Pope um, is encouraging the vaccine, so basically your religious exemption doesn't stand, is what I, huh. a lot of the... Um, so it's really supposed to be about your personal beliefs because it's your, it's your, um, your, your civil liberty to be able to practice uh, a religion or a belief system that you you choose for yourself, but of course they're taking it way too far where they're making it about an individual religion or belief system, which is not the way the law was intended. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Now, so, yeah, what about, um, um, what about uh, kids? You mentioned briefly about, did you also have observations or did you uh, either treat or or um, observe any side effects in kids? I I personally did not because we do not admit any pediatric, uh, the pediatric population to our hospital. So I personally did not. I do know of a couple of cases that came through our emergency room of young individuals um, that were, uh, you know, shipped to other hospitals. But I personally did not take care of any children, um, thank goodness, because that has to be very difficult for the providers to, to deal with, I'm sure. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. in, in adults, so, we can come up with all sorts of reasons why they had their, their symptom or their issue. But in children, they don't, they're generally healthy. They're not on medications. Um, so there's really not a lot to blame in children. So that has to be pretty difficult, I imagine. Yes. You know, I was saying at the beginning about how through all my 
uh, media interviews and so on that I am not telling people to get the vaccine, not to get the vaccine, but to, um, to exercise their own choice, free choice. Mm-hmm. The only exception to that is with children. Um, I have been saying, and I still say, <laughs> that um, I do not think that parents should give children the vaccine because not only has there not really been enough research in adults, but there certainly has not been enough research in kids because we don't know if you give a 12-year-old or a 10-year-old this vaccine. We don't know. There's no way to know yet what's going to happen 10 years down, there, down the line. Their organs are growing, still growing, their brain, their heart. We know already that kids are having heart problems after, after getting the vaccine. Teens and, and uh, young 20-some-odd years old um, especially boys, um, but so there's no way to be for sure to be sure that a child whose organ is the organs are developing while they got the vaccine, um, what is going to happen to those organs ten years down the line or five years down the line? We don't you know can't even know that. So I am, I do say that I don't think um, parents should give their kids vaccines because first of all, kids don't get COVID as much as adults. To begin with, and second of all, um, and don't get such serious cases. They don't die from it in any significant numbers. So, um, so this is it's more risk than benefit to give kids vaccines. And I, I, uh, I am concerned about that, especially with some school systems saying that they can't come to school unless they have a vaccine. I mean, the government is doing everything they can to just um, insist upon people getting the vaccine. Um, let's talk a little bit about the immune system. You know, you were talking before about some of the disorders that uh, side effects that people have been getting, and one of them is cancer, and, of course, that is related to the immune system. When the immune system stops fighting uh, foreign viruses, foreign um, substances uh, in the body, you know, that, that, well, the immune system is important for everything, just about. Same thing with uh protecting us from COVID. And um, what about, what, um, what have you observed or what, what have you sort of, what thinking have you had about the immune system in regard to the kinds of cases of side effects that you've seen? Well, I think when we look at other vaccines, we know that after vaccination with any of our other vaccines, um, we we have a, uh, it affects our immune system. That's how vaccines work. They stimulate your immune system to produce um, the, the appropriate response so that you become immune to the thing with which you're vaccinating yourself for. So we know that it affects the immune system. Um, what we don't know is, you know, these are, again, mRNA vaccines using different platforms that we've not used before. Um, how does these how do these affect the immune system the effect, we know that they tell us well the, the the reason you get these side effects afterwards the fever the chills you get you know body aches and things to expect those is because you're you're getting such a robust immune response that's what they tell us that's the reason why people are expected to be ill or have to call into work after they get their vaccine well how do we know that's a good thing why are we saying that feeling sick and having body aches and chills and fever and all kinds of things, why is that a good thing? Why, why are we looking at it that way? What if it's not? What if it's a bad thing? What if it's 
overstimulating your immune system and causing problems. Mm-hmm. I think we need to look at that. Mm-hmm. There's also some research being done about the uh, natural killer T cells and what do the vaccines do to those T cell response? What, what do we do? We know with COVID, um, it affects the T cells, which is why in blood work, we see a low lymphocyte count um, on your complete blood panel in COVID infection. We, it's funny, we also see that same thing after vaccination. We see that lymphocyte um, count go down. And again, is that because those T cells are being affected? I don't know. Uh, I, I definitely think more research needs to be done in those areas. Um, you know, to say globally that, you know, stimulating your immune system to that level where you become so ill, you literally have to call into work. That's concerning to me, the fact that we accept that, because if, if that if there was a drug out on the market that you became that ill after taking it, I guarantee you nobody would take that drug. They would, they would, I mean, because we have mm-hmm. patients who take a drug and they get a rash or they, fe- they, they feel weird or they, they feel lightheaded or they don't feel right, and they'll stop taking that drug because they say, oh, I got a side effect to it. But we mm-hmm. accept mm-hmm. these vaccines that it's okay that, I mean, you're in bed for two days, I mean, in some people, or you have side effects mm-hmm, that go on for mm-hmm. weeks. We accept that, and, and it doesn't, I don't understand. I, 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 you yeah, know, and, and like yeah. you, I, I agree with you about the children. Um, we have, I think, in open VARES, which is another, it's a, it's a statistical analysis of the VARES system. It's called open VARES. Right now, I believe we have no, over 900,000 adverse events reported to VARES. That's almost a million people. And that's just the ones that knew to report or somebody took it upon themselves to report. We need to explain that first before we start vaccinating children. We yes, need to, yes. Somebody needs to start talking about the close to a million patients that are now reporting side effects. Why are we not talking about that? If this was a drug, the drug would have been taken off the market right away. Nobody is talking about that, and that's really concerning. I mean, I'm sure there's some... Well, that's not true. It's not not true that nobody is. You are. (laughs) You are. Well, true. And and I feel like sometimes nobody's listening. It's really sad. I I know, but really, when you... you, (laughs) Yeah, when you watch television or you listen to the radio... All we hear right. is just how great the vaccine is over and over yes. and over again. And it says that this other piece of it doesn't exist. Yes, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. You are right. Well, I think you deserve a lot of admiration, Deborah Conrad. Thank you for being on the show. You certainly, all the people who have been listening to this and the people that they uh, will talk to about it will know. And um, I congratulate your bravery and um, keep on going. That's all I have to say. Do keep on going. Keep uh, Don't give up. So thank, thank you, you for so much. being on the show. And thank you're welcome. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 